Hello listeners, my name is Alex Jonitz and I am joined as always by my co-host Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd, he was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 121. AJ and I are coming to you. We are, it is actually February 1st, AJ. And let me ask you this first question. A lot of questions today in the podcast. We got a lot to get to, but Chiefs or Niners? We saw one crazy divisional weekend conference championship weekend uh are you are you at the taylor swift uh bandwagon yeah Travis, that's a good question to start us off icebreaker i am personally um probably gonna be rooting for the chiefs just because as a rams fan uh the divisional rival thing to me it kind of matters i do not want to see the niners wins a lot of niners fans travis in our area being in la that's um, very true it just feels very odd obviously la is very divided with football there's raiders niners there's Cowboys, Steelers, Cowboys, Steelers. <laughs> uh, you, you'll see, you'll see everything. I mean, we know Ravens fans, we know yeah. uh, Seahawks fans. Yeah. Um, there's Rams fans, some Chargers. So, um, pretty much anyone who's not an LA team that is rooting for uh, a non-LA team, but they live here, I kind of want them to uh, crumble. So, I'm gonna root against the Niners, and that will require me to be Team Swift for the Super Bowl. What about I, you? What, what, what about you? You know what? I, I, t- and it's weird. Typically, I, I hate the Niners. I. I just don't like them as a team. I've never liked them. But for some reason this year, Alex, I kind of am going for them. I mean, me and a buddy of ours, we we have money on the game too, so I have yes. to root for the Niners as well. But I, you know. You picked them preseason. I, I, I think he I'm picked just, the Chiefs. I'm yeah. sick and tired of the Chiefs, man. I'm 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 sick and tired of seeing them win right now. It's it's funny that in sports now we've gotten like the Golden State Warriors dynasty has now led to the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty. And then also in football, you have the New England Patriots dynasty that kind of transitioned right to the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty. It's funny that literally right after, you know, Brady left the Pats, the Chiefs basically just take over and now the AFC's new, uh, you know, shining star and so it's it's it's, i see parallels with chiefs and houston astros um you know steering back towards baseball the way that it seems like all of a sudden they had this golden era where you had like all these guys up and comers mahomes kelsey was in his prime tyree kill was an up-and-comer reed was a great coach and that was almost like the 2017 through 2019 astros and then Year after year, they lose pieces, right? Like yes. the Astros, they lose Verlander at one point. They lose Cole, of course, they to the lose Yankees. Springer. They lose Correa. They lose Springer and Correa, and they still keep making it back. And that's kind of like the way that the Chiefs have lost Tyreek Hill. They've lost uh, several defenders. Smith-Schuster. Um, yeah, they lost, lost they weapons lo- on offense they, they, and guys get injured. And, they yeah. lost uh, the Honey Badger, you know, all these guys. Yeah. So um, that being said, Travis. Did we just uh, start a football podcast? I mean, hey, we, we we can we can we can start that up too. But is no one last question: Is uh, a Chiefs win? Is that going to be? I mean, it basically, already is a dynasty. Um, yes, I'm very. I, there's, there's always that question: Like, is it a dynasty? You know, like what what do, what do you have to do? Do you have to win two championships in a number of years or three championships in a number of years? Like, what is what is a dynasty? And yeah, so, yeah. For me, it depends on the sport, but for the most part, like, if you make a conference finals um in like four or five years or something like that and you have at least one ring 
uh, or I'll say maybe at least two rings. I'll call that multiple, a dynasty. Multiple rings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty loose. I mean, there are some people who are like, you got to win like five rings. I'm like, okay, no. like We don't have to say that there's only like two dynasties in the history of American sports. Like that's just not really realistic to say you got to win like five, you know, with the same core. That just doesn't really happen very often in the modern game. Travis, there's so much talent in pretty much all these sports right now. There's so much talent. I watch the NBA a lot, Travis. There's so many good players on every team. A- any given night, some guy you barely have heard of off the bench will score 20 points and um that's just the way that the some of these leagues are including baseball um so much depth across the sport that um i think it has a lot of leagues contemplating expansion which is something that i'm sure we'll get to in the coming years here but travis let us dive into the first big topic uh the biggest news of today actually uh it came out of nowhere i randomly saw a ken rosenthal tweet saying developing story uh, Corbin Burns on the verge of being traded to the Baltimore Orioles. And then minutes later, Passon said the deal was done uh, and there was going to be a trade that would send Corbin Burns from the Brewers over to the Baltimore Orioles to kind of reinforce that um, that starting rotation. Uh, that's something that was a weakness of theirs last year. I think in both of our minds, um, it may have cost them uh, late in the in the postseason. And then they went ahead and they got um, D.L. Hall, a pitching prospect, um, who was going to be probably pitching this coming season, as well as shortstop Joey Ortiz. Those guys are going over to the Brewers in return, as well as a first-round comp pick. Um Comp picks can be traded, uh, not, of course, your your standard picks, but um, the, interesting to see how the Brewers take advantage of the, that first-round comp pick in the coming draft. But, Travis, what was your first reaction when you heard that news? Absolute um, absolute banger. I mean, that, that that's what you love to see in an organization when you have so many guys in the prospect system. You have so many minor leaguers who could really contribute to other franchises and different other organizations you start to kind of just move these guys around for some of these big chips that are on teams that are not really projected to do much next year, but you know, also free agency is looming for some of these players. Uh, and with Corbin Burns, man, I mean, he, we, Alex, we can definitely agree. I think going into the season, going into most of the last couple of seasons, he is a top five pitcher in the game. He is a guy that we'd want on a starting rotation if we had to pick one right now. So that is awesome to see the Orioles make that move get someone who's going to be the ace of that of that rotation because we just really didn't see too much of that last year they had Kyle Bradish who was kind of their uh up and coming star he had a great season last year I think Alex he I think he might have been on like the all MLB first or second team he may have been first team if I'm not mistaken did he get third in Cy Young voting I think he did but let, let, go ahead and that's check that's why we check but, it right here but yeah but yeah looking at their projected fourth ro- fourth okay yeah. yeah that makes sense um which is a super high, Travis, of course, a former Angels prospect that was traded for, I believe, Dylan Bundy. But um, we won't go into our pain on that topic. We'll just kind of focus on <laughs> yeah. the burn side of things and how he impacts that rotation. Travis, I think a front three of Burns, Bradish, and Grayson Rodriguez is a really great spot to be looking into their future. Obviously, tons of young talent offensively. Grayson Rodriguez kind of the highlight uh, in terms of young pitching. Um, of course, Bradish kind of broke out last year. It will be interesting to see if he can kind of repeat his success. You know, he's someone who um, took a really big jump, but that ballpark is super uh, pitcher friendly all of a sudden. Interested to see if he maintains that level of success. Um, And then they have guys like Kramer and even John Means is projected to pitch over 100 innings. I'm not sure if he's going to 
be healthy on opening day, but he will be a part of the rotation in 2024. Um, you know, a lot of those guys have pretty good projections, Travis, especially I think um, I'm really excited to see what a guy like Grayson can do in a full year in a starting role. If he can kind of get into a groove, he's been a top prospect for such a long time now that I think he's almost due. It feels kind of inevitable for him to have a good year at some point. Might as well be this year. Um, but yeah, I think adding Burns, Travis, it really changes everything. Because before, I don't know who their fifth guy was going to be. Maybe Colt Irvin. Um, they have Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells, the, the, Dean the, Kramer. The, the, um, the, there's these different names that they have that are projected to no longer really get that many innings pitched now that they have Burns. I mean, Fangraphs projects Burns to throw 196 innings. I mean, that's a lot. So they're not only getting good quality, but good volume. So um, overall, great for them. And that really helps out the bullpen because I know... Uh, I don't think they're going to have Felix Batista next year, but you know, going back to that injury, you, you you probably saw that coming with just the amount of innings that the bullpen had to go out there and finish ball games. I think Batista was getting probably the ball three or four times a week, and not saying that's a bad thing, but also it it could be just overload of work. And when you come down the stretch into August, September, you know, uh, some of these bullpen guys' arms might feel like they're they're going to fall off, and and getting that you know seven innings eight innings pitched every single outing from burns that's going to be uh, a great thing for the bullpen they are going to have to they basically can tell each other that they can take almost the night off because they can see that burns is going to get out there and and get him close to a complete game but i i really do like the move and i love that you know basically 24 hours after the the news of uh, the Orioles finally going up for sale. The uh, the ownership of the Baltimore Orioles, I think it's the Angelos. Uh, they uh, they came out and said that we were basically putting the team up for sale. They bought the team, I think, in the uh, early '90s, and are um, are now selling it for, of course, you know, uh, it's over a billion, right? Times One, ten of what they of what yeah, they purchased it for. Like, so like they're one point four billion or something. They're, they're they're definitely getting a steal in the team, and the new owner. And I think I've actually heard some some whispers that Cal Ripken is going to be part of like maybe a, a small minority of ownership. So yes, it, it's cool to see that. Basically, you know, hours after we we hear this exciting news, and Orioles fans are so excited that they actually make a big splash in the trade market and get one of the best starting pitchers in the game. Uh, it's it's definitely looking good right now for Baltimore. They already were a spectacular team last year with 101 wins, um, you know, winning the American League East. I just, uh, it, it's, it's definitely looking a lot better now. And there are still some free agents out there, Alex, that, you know, maybe they go out there and be even more aggressive and try getting some of these uh, last last uh, starting pitchers that are on the market that, that could really help out this rotation because I know the offense already is, is, is dangerous. They have Gunnar Henderson. They have Adley Rauschman, just two young superstars. And number one prospect, uh, Jackson Holiday, is probably going to see time yes. sometime this year. So, again, it, it, they are just in a really good position. So many top 100 prospects, so much youth. Everybody's contributing. Uh, it, it is exciting times to be a, to be an Orioles fan after, you know, six years of of patiently waiting for something to happen. But now it's finally here. Yeah, and you mentioned the ownership, uh, the way that kind of changes the, the dynamic of the of the franchise. And it is really a big deal, Travis. Uh, I believe just, you know, less than a year ago, there was quotes coming out from ownership saying things like, hey, um, 
you know, don't necessarily count us to extend all these young guys because we only have so much money and, you know, all these guys are going to want huge contracts someday. So we can't really afford to keep Gunner and Adley and Grayson Rodriguez amongst all the other youngsters coming up. Jackson Holiday and, uh, you know, Jordan Westberg. I mean, you can you could list <laughs> some of their good players for a lot forever. But um, it, it is really uh, it's really interesting to see the way that totally shifted into them just deciding to sell the team. I think fans are in a much happier spot knowing that their new ownership is willing to spend big. Uh, I, the immediate reaction I saw was like, oh, that's great news for the fans because the extensions for the young players like Adley and, uh, of course, Jackson Holiday, uh, Gunner, those guys are going to probably be getting their extensions sooner than later um, as opposed to the previous ownership. Uh, who knows when that was going to happen? And besides that, to see them go out and add Burns, um, I wonder if they're going to try to sign an extension with Burns, try to keep him there for several years as opposed to just until free agency. Um, he may just have one. Is it one I year? I think he's a free agent next year. Yeah. So I wonder if they're going to work on that extension. Um, you mentioned that there's still more free agents they can go out there and get. And I agree that's a great opportunity for them to continue to add. I think you cannot have enough enough depth. I don't think they need to go and like spend a bunch of money on like a Snell or a Bellinger. But I think just adding depth uh, all over the field just in case Jackson Holiday comes up and isn't quite ready, just in case you get an injury to a key guy like a Mullins or a Gunner or whoever it might be, you want to make sure that uh, you're in it for the long haul over the course of the season and try to get everyone healthy for the playoffs because that division, Travis, even though the Orioles were so good last year in a really competitive AL East, it's going to be really competitive again. The Rays always are managed to compete for a playoff spot the Yankees um definitely added more this offseason tried to revamp their offense and adding pitching and then uh the Jays are adding guys as well um they're a team that I feel like you always cannot count out because of how many good hitters are in that batting order and of course any of those teams I just mentioned can go out there and add another free agent even the the Red Sox can could they could go out there and add a Bellinger or someone and it might change their offense so um you really have to look at it if you're the Orioles and say hey Let's just keep going. Let's keep adding. They have money to spend. I know that their team salary, I don't have it in front of me, but they're nowhere, nowhere near the top. And so if their new ownership is willing to say, hey, let's just put in a little bit more money. Maybe they want a full-time first baseman because right now it looks like they're projected to split time between Ryan O'Hearn and uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Mountcastle also spending some time at DH. Maybe they want a bona fide guy to play first base every day and have O'Hearn more as like a platoon guy. Mountcastle a full-time DH. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things they could do to try to add more depth, more MLB kind of proven talent because maybe, you know, Jordan Westberg comes up. He's projected to play most of their second base innings and he could be a great player off the jump, but also could be some growing pains with guys like that, Travis. But you mentioned uh, how Jackson Holiday will probably come up this year. And just looking at the Fangraph's uh, projections, they have him playing uh, over 500 plate appearances. So it'd be really fun to see you know, nearly a full season of him, a rookie year, see if he can be a rookie of the year um, contender. But Travis, um, that's a lot about the Orioles. What do you think about the Brewers side of things? So basically... Their offseason is a little confusing to me. They go out there and they spend on uh, Reese Hoskins. So they add a first baseman who's kind of a power hitter. They always kind of have that type of like an offense first first baseman, not super uh, athletic, not super known for defense or base running. They've had guys like Luke Voigt through their system. They've had guys like Roddy Telez. They always have these first basemen in the last few seasons who it feels like they're just up there to mash. And Reese Hoskins definitely fits that bill. And he definitely may... Uh, 
fit in well. I know that his career numbers at that ballpark are quite good. A really small sample size, of course, but I could see him being a great fit. But then they go out there and they decide to uh, trade away Burns for guys who are a bit more protected to the future, you know, a shortstop prospect and then a young pitcher in DL Hall who um, definitely could contribute this season. He could start. He could be a bullpen guy. Um, I've seen some good things about his stuff plus numbers. Like there's some promise with his um, his pitching. I think that he definitely could be an impactful guy for years to come. But I think just looking at what this Brewers team was a few years ago to what it is now, Travis, just a lot of these guys kind of leaving and not that he, not many huge big names coming back in return for guys like Hader in turn in turn for for if they traded Burns like a year ago I feel like they could have gotten like someone's like number one prospect absolutely but they yeah. weren't touching any of the Orioles top prospect for one year of Burns so how do you see this Brewers team going in the next year and I feel like them trading away Burns it opens up the Central that much more so what are your thoughts about the NL Central as well yeah and I I thought that if they got the right you know and not saying this isn't the right deal but I thought you know man if they got a team's you know number one prospect or they got a guy that's in like the top 50 um you know I was thinking maybe Burns would go to LA and the Dodgers would give away some top 100 prospects for Burns um I I, I look at the Brewers now and well I'll say this uh, before the trade I looked at the Brewers as yeah they're a team that definitely can compete uh, for the um, NL Central because NL Central is kind of up for grabs right now. There's really not too many uh, teams that are just going to be, uh, you know, really dominant. But um, it, it's it's definitely a division or a division that is um, that that could be won by many teams, if not all the teams could win that division. But uh, I I look at um, them now, and I mean that's a huge piece of their team. They lose their ace. They're not going to have uh, Brandon Woodford this year as well. And so those are two big pieces that are not going to be in the starting rotation. So, of course, they lose their their biggest uh, war guy when it comes to pitching. And, you know, they're they're already a team that I wasn't really um, I wasn't really too excited about their future. You know, I, I see guys that are aging, not too, not, not too many moves make, being made that are really going to spark this team in a lot of ways. But I I think now as a, as as if I'm a Brewers fan, you know, definitely disappointed because you're kind of punting on the season i guess and if you're doing that then then why not get rid of so many more guys you know why not go out there and trade you know william Contreras, or why not go out there and trade christian yelich if you can but it, it just seems like if you're getting getting rid of your big piece your 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 money maker for the team then why not just go out there and start unloading all these other guys because i just feel like Burns is going to Burns is going to be the reason why you guys won the division and got to the playoffs or what got got the got the wild card seed or whatever. But um, now that that now that he is gone, I don't know. I just I, I don't see this team in, in a bright fashion, in a bright way. I could be wrong. They have a lot of youth uh, on the offensive side. You know, we, we saw a lot of um, of uh, Bryce Terang last year who who did it did an OK job at some points, but he still has a lot to learn. And then also, I think we saw a little bit of uh, Tyrone Taylor, uh, Joey, Joey Weimer uh, and a couple other guys uh, in their in their um, in their system. And I know they have the like, you know, a top three prospect of, of in all of minors right now. I'm, I'm, I'm losing his name. Jackson right now. Churio. That's yeah, that's right. It, and it, and uh, but, but what I mentioned is that and that's someone that you want to maybe build on for the future. So if, if you're going to do that, then I think you might as well just say, hey, let's start, you know, getting some of these guys off of our team, 
shipping away for prospects. Maybe we start building for that window in the next two years or so. But again, right now, um, as a Brewers fan, it's it's not it's not looking good. And also, if I am any other team in the NL Central, I'm looking at the Brewers as okay. That threat is kind of over with, I would think. Now we have to look towards these other teams that may be threats. The Reds and the Cubs right now are probably going to be the two teams that are going in high uh, this um, in, in the offseason so far that are going to be looking to make big pushes for the NL Central. The Cardinals, you know, they, they've made some additions and they could definitely bounce right back. Uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt could have, you know, they could have seasons like they did uh, two years ago when they were up there with, you know, uh, getting good shares of MVP votes. But I right now for for Brewers fans, it's 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 not where you want to be. Right. And looking at um, looking at the Brewers kind of projections here, you mentioned a lot of the youngsters that they have uh, debuting last season, probably contributing this season. Guys like Sal Frelick, guys like Joey Weimer, um, guys like Garrett Mitchell. Uh, you know, you mentioned um uh, Bryce Terang at second base. These are all guys who I expect to be very solid, um, but I just don't know how much of difference makers they will end up being, um, at least in the at least in the short term, at least in this coming season. So when trying to evaluate what they're gonna be, um, it is tough for me to kind of see them being better than they were the last couple of years. I don't really kind of project them to have that level of improvement. Um, you mentioned, or we mentioned Jackson Churio. He is one of the top, top prospects in baseball, a center fielder who in the minors was just hitting the, I mean, one of the best minor league hitters, I think statistically we've ever seen. So seeing how that translates to the big leagues is going to be definitely a lot of fun. It looks like Fangraphs has him uh, hitting over 500 plate appearances this year. So if he gets a bulk of that time in center field, if he can play some solid defense and, you know, hit decently, he could definitely be a cornerstone of their future. And then you have all those other young guys we mentioned kind of building around the system. So I don't really knock the move if you're saying, okay, our, our plan is to take a step backwards, get younger and build around Jackson Churio. Um, for the future, but I still feel like if that was the plan, they could have gone a bit of a different route than just getting the guys that they got. I feel like I don't know. I, I'm a little bit underwhelmed with the with the return. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe their shortstop that they got. I think his name is uh, Joey Ortiz. Um, maybe he ends up being a, a really impactful player for them, and maybe he, uh, you know, proves me wrong in a couple years here. But he's only uh, actually wow. He's actually 25 and. I'd expect him to be making MLB contributions um, if that's the case. So uh, it looks like he'll be an infielder for them. But uh, yeah, overall, I'm not super high, just like you, on the Brewers. That being said, um, they always find a way to kind of get more out of less, I feel like. So we'll see what the pitching ends up looking like. Right now, their rotation, Travis, I mean, it looks a little underwhelming to me. Freddie Peralta is their ace. They could easily get something for him if they end up kind of having a tanker season. But he has a lot of team control. So I think he's on a really valuable deal for them. So they would get a haul in return for him, I believe, just because um, whatever team gets him has like three more years of him. But uh, Brewers seem like the kind of team that will want to hold on to that. Um, they also have Wade Miley, who they signed, uh, Colin Rea, who uh, did not have a good year last year, uh, Robert Gasser, I think he was part of the hater trade. Um, and after that, Travis, a lot of guys who are probably question marks in my book, D.L. Hall, who they just got from the Orioles, not sure how much he'll start or how much will come out of the bullpen, but their bullpen has upside, of course. Devin Williams is one of the best closers in baseball. He could definitely carry a high workload um, at you know a high-quality 
uh, being very efficient, getting guys out. Um, and then they have, they have depth in that in that uh, bullpen as well. They consistently add relievers all the time in these various trades. So I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see on the pitching front. But uh, their offense, never that impressive um, going into the season. Uh, they do add Hoskins, which I like, and then they trade away their probably best player <laughs> right after. So and, uh, and interesting. Year after year, we were saying, man, if the Brewers can just get offense, then this team would be somewhat complete. They already had they, in the past. They had a great bullpen. I mean, when they had Hader and uh, Devin Williams, it was lockdown, and then their rotation was so good. And then it was just like, can it was kind of like that meme with the three uh, the three dragons, and it's like the two dragons look serious, and the one dragon just looks. Oh. The stupid uh, dragon is stupid the dragon offense. And, and that's basically the offense because it just that's felt good. like, man, this team is so close to just being a complete, um, you know, a, a complete 25, 25 man road roster. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you, again, you kind of get on the, uh, the front office and the GM and, and say, what are you guys doing? You know, you, this is the hole we always see in, you know, the, the brewers season after season. And can we get this fixed? And, and again, it just seems like now it's all falling apart. Um, I would, I would, again, I would look to start looking, uh, I would, I would look to other organizations to see what you can get for some of these pieces. You know, I know they still have some, some key contributors that they, that really could be, uh, you know, valuable trade pieces. Yeah. I mean, imagine, I mean, let's just hypothetical here, Travis, imagine the Dodgers, imagine Lux gets hurt right before the trade deadline. What would they give you for mm-hmm. Willie Adames and Freddie Peralta at the deadline? Like that is like something that I could see the Brewers bringing in a wealth of prospects. Maybe guys who are almost even MLB ready. Yep. And you just say, let's just build this really special young core um, and kind of build it around all their young guys. They already have kind of making their debuts last year and this coming season. So um, there are bright spots, but just not enough to for me to see them as a 2024, you know, uh, legitimate contender. Uh, just it's funny seeing a lot of the names in their depth charts. Like Austin Nola is on this team apparently. Apparently, I didn't know that he signed there. They have, um, they. Ha- <laughs> it looks like they have Christian Arroyo. I did not know that either. But um, yeah, very interesting wow. to see who's on their Fangraphs uh, depth charts here. But yeah, Travis, overall, I think we kind of are in the same spot. Not super optimistic for their season. Um, not to mention, we didn't even mention that their coach is now coaching for their division rival, yes. of course. So yes. um, they they promoted from within on that spot. So. Best of luck to them, Travis, but we're a little hesitant on it. Let's keep it rolling, though, and talk about other moves that were happening around um, the league, Travis. Let's go to Hader on the Astros. Uh, Josh Hader signs the deal for the being the highest paid, uh, most total money closer in baseball history. Um, Travis, to me, it is an overpay, but that being said, it is the right fit for him because I think he needs to be closing in a bullpen that, excuse me, that has that depth because he is someone who we know does not like coming in in the eighth. Yes. He does not like coming in early and trying to bail out, uh, people with runners in scoring position that has come back to bite him in the past. He has had some meltdowns, um, in regards to letting, uh, inherited runs score, um, he had a really rough stretch in the middle of, I think it was 2022, uh, trying to get, uh, trying to just get guys out. And that was with the Brewers as well as the uh, San Diego Padres in that same year. But now he's an Astro Travis. Um, and I see him being a great fit in the bullpen. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, cause he's been one of the best closers, if not the best closer kind of of the last several seasons here. Uh, he's one of those guys that comes to mind, but just adding him to a bullpen that already has Ryan Presley, who already has Brian Abreu, who already has, I mean, there's, there's, 
so many uh, names uh, back there that I think are going to be big contributor, big contributors. Uh, Montero, um, they have, oh, let me see here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, I a lot of these guys are projected to get some relief. I'm still kind of surprised. I see like JP France and stuff, but I expect him to get a lot of starts as well. But either way, I think the top end of the Astros bullpen is being reinforced in a big way by adding Hader. That being said, Travis, I think the price tag is probably too high. Absolutely. Um, that being said, um, if you if you're the Astros and you already know you're already pretty much a contender and you feel like you're one or two pieces away, then spend the money to get those guys you think you that you know fill those last couple holes in the team. But I think there's probably a way to add more value to the team per dollar than going and getting Josh Hader. I think the last couple years, the Astros have been a little bit more reckless with their spending. I think it, it kind of shifted when they had new people take over after the cheating scandal uh, and the front office kind of became, uh, they, they kind of, their priorities kind of shifted in my mind. They let guys like Correa walk, uh, they let Verlander walk to the Mets, but then they would go out and spend big money on a Brayu. Uh, who yeah. did not? Who did not have a good year? Yeah. Um. And now they're uh, giving big money to Hater, and I'm sure Hater will have successful years on that team. And if he has a big postseason for them, then it's all worth it, right? So absolutely, we'll kind of see how that pans out. But what was your gut reaction to the Hater signing? Too much money? Do you care? Yeah, it's. I mean, of course, it's too much money. Uh, we've seen that year after year now, Alex. I think ever since almost 2020, a big reliever is signed in the off season, and it always just seems that it's going to be kind of an overpay. Uh, and it, it definitely is. But, you know, with the Astros, you know, they were they, they were in game seven of the ALCS last year. So they were one game away from making it to another trip to the World Series. So they are a team that is always it just always seems like 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 we mentioned earlier in the in the, in the podcast. Uh, they are the Kansas City Chiefs, I feel like, of the uh, baseball world continuously making it to the uh, the conference championship or the league championship uh, and and always competing to be the best team in their league or conference. And so adding this piece is very it, it's it's very good because you are you're basically reassuring that your bullpen just got stronger. I mean, we saw Presley kind of slip last year and now you're saying Presley's going to be the eighth inning guy and now you have Hater coming out for the ninth. That's that's definitely a dominant bullpen. Your bullpen now uh, the overall health and stamina got better. So that's always a win. But I just I it is an overspend. You just wonder how much if that deal will come back to hurt them with maybe re-signing other guys in the future. I don't know too much about um, Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman's contract, but I know those guys, you know, probably in the next couple of years are definitely going to be looking at a uh, a good payday. And um, and that's something that could be thought of when, you know, you look back at this deal and say, hey, you might have to trade hater to free up some of that cap space so you can go out and sign these guys uh, and extend these guys. But I, I definitely I'll say this, Alex, I feel like I see hater finishing that five year deal with another team. I, I just feel like that the Astros are, are, are a smart team. I think that they may be able to get like two, three years out of hater. Maybe one of those years is not a good year. But maybe two of the years are, are, are really good. And then they kind of move on from him and say, OK, go finish the last two years of the of, of the uh, contract with this team who is um, maybe looking to get the last kind of last stretch of the contract out of hater and uh, and hopefully can have uh, successful seasons in there. But that's that's kind of what I thought of the deal. That's kind of what I think is going to happen after the five years. I think he'll finish that uh, the, the contract with another team. I just feel like a lot of relievers nowadays are going to get these four or five year deals, but then they'll somehow find a way to get traded, you know, midway through the contract, you know, with the angels and and um, 
and uh, crap. Iglesias, there we go. Uh, uh, Rysel Iglesias, uh, he didn't even make it through one year of that contract, and he was traded to the Atlanta Braves. They've been pretty good with the Atlanta Braves, but you know, it's just it's it's funny that I think GMs they they want to spend big, they want to bring in this elite closer, but sometimes they just have to kind of tear it down and say, you know what, get that out of there. We can use that money elsewhere. And uh, and and honestly, they're they're I, I feel like relievers are there's not a um, there's not a bad taste in your mouth mouth when they're traded away or they leave because it's kind of just a it's an interesting position because you got one guy coming out in the ninth inning and he's not in your lineup every day he's not pitching every fifth day he's coming out there he might make two or three appearances a week and that's kind of it you know him leaving is not going to be the worst thing in the world and and if you get good uh you know players or prospects in return it's it's kind of a win for that as well but um that's going off track I, I i do like the move i think that the astros got better but i just say that i think the money is uh is is way too much but you know good for hater he's definitely deserved it he's been one of the best closers of the last um five to six years i like your thoughts on the idea of where he might end that contract it almost maybe feels like it could end up aging like a chapman to yankees in this most recent yankees stint he had where at the beginning of the deal he's kind of viewed as this like all-star level closer who's going to be closing out the big games in the playoffs maybe, maybe by the end of the deal he's just older and not able to really be that same guy i'm not sure that hater ages like chapman he's not going to have the same i mean he hasn't had a history of having the same kind of control issues to that level um of course we still know that chapman even though he's getting older he still throws just as fast as he did but uh i, I think that the hater question about where he might end that deal is interesting i think that it's a tough spot because you're paying him a lot of money for a closer so if he ends up still being good even as he ages in the last couple of years of the deal why not keep him because you are in a spot where he's succeeding in that role but then if he ends up kind of slipping a bit who's gonna want to take that contract you almost have to attach a prospect i feel like to get yeah. something in return but um, that's a lot of speculation for several years out. I think Astros know that they need to uh, win very soon because they still have this core of Altuve, Bregman, uh, Jordan is in his uh, peak of his powers right now. Um, you know, projected to be the, the best DH or second best DH in baseball. So um, when these guys are all kind of in their still in their primes, some guys late primes, some guys early primes, you want to take advantage of that by adding a win now guy like Hater. So I do get the move in that regard, but. I am also very curious, like you, to see how they go about a Tucker extension, how they go about a Bregman extension. These are guys who have been very, very core parts of this team. These are guys who play like, it feels like the whole year most of the time. Like Altuve goes down with injury. Jordan has been down with injury. Pitchers get hurt. I feel like specifically Bregman and specifically um, uh, Tucker have been very, very uh, resilient, have been very good about avoiding injury for the most part, at least. And with that being said, um, not sure how they would replace those guys if they if if much like Correa and Springer, there was no extension and those guys left in free agency. So um, that's all kind of looking into the Astros future. But for this coming season, they're for sure going to be really, really fierce with that new addition of Josh Hader. Travis, looking at some other signings. I'm going to ask you this. I'm looking at Jock Peterson to the Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good deal where you see a team that was in the World Series last year add a veteran bat who's going to be very useful situationally, probably going to be platooning for them. Could be DH, outfield, first base, versatility. 
Um, that's a big signing as well as Justin Turner to the Jays could see him playing. Uh, you know, I'm really not sure who is a better first baseman between Justin Turner and Vlad Guerrero. No idea. I should, have, I should look at those numbers, but let's just say that we see a lot of DHing from Turner. Are you think Turner's going to play third base now that Donaldson's gone? I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. You know, I, I thought moving forward, he was just going to be an everyday first baseman DH. I think last year, Alex, with the Red Sox, he did express interest to go back to third. You know, mm -hmm. I think if Devers was out or, you know, he kind of wanted maybe split some time with Devers. Maybe if Devers was going to go to play first base, maybe some day games or go back to playing DH. But I, um, do, do you see personally a bigger impact from Peterson on the Diamondbacks or Justin Turner with the Blue Jays? Uh, Peterson. I, 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 Jock Peterson, correct? That's yeah, what you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 Jock Peterson. I think that he is a guy that, you know, in Arizona, a ballpark that, um, I guess it, you know, I, I guess it is kind of both a hitters and kind of a pitcher's ballpark. I don't really know if it's certainly just dominantly one or the other, but I would, I would think with just the hot air in the summer, uh, you're going to get a lot of home runs in that ballpark. And I think Jock could, could have himself a, a decent season, uh, with, uh, with Arizona now Justin Turner again I feel like I've ruled him out so many times and he's he's just a consistent baseball player and he's one guy that I honestly wish the Angels would have got gotten out there and gotten because he's just a guy that doesn't really get hurt that much and he still has production at the plate so it's it's almost tough to say I, I feel like the best answer would go to we would be go to Justin Turner, but also with Jock Peterson, I feel like his ceiling is so much higher than than Turner right now that I could definitely say, oh, a Jock Peterson is is um is someone who I'd be more excited about. So that's how I both look at it. I guess I mean I, I probably would change my answer back to, to back to or to Justin Turner just because um he 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 like I mentioned the consistency consistency will be there. Right, yeah, and he he feels like an everyday bat. Um, whether or not he's an everyday defensive player remains to be seen. But I think Peterson still has this platoon issue where he's super effective against righty pitchers and very ineffective against left-handed pitchers. Um, that was the case with the Dodgers, and every stop since I I haven't dug into his 2023 numbers with the Giants, but I I expect it was the same story. Uh, so that being said, I feel like Turner is the more everyday impactful guy, but Peterson has the capacity for some really big moments for sure. Um, looking at Fangraphs projections for Turner and for the Blue Jays in general, they have Turner. Uh, this is all just, of course, projection work, but uh, about 300 plate appearances at DH. They think maybe around. Uh, 90 to 100 plate appearances at third base as well as maybe a, a little over 100 plate appearances at first base so just kind of getting Vlad off his legs uh, from time to time probably once a week I think that'd be really effective good for him just to make sure he stays healthy um, some third base depth right now they don't really have an everyday third baseman that wows me they have Espinal on the team still they went and signed Isaiah Kiner-Falefa not 100% sure if they're going to use him in a utility role I mean because he could play pretty much anywhere in the infield or center field or anywhere in between. He's caught before, um, <laughs> crying out loud. But, I mean, <laughs> they have uh, some interesting guys at third base that could have a good year, kind of Falefa, Espinal, Biggio. But Turner, I think the most impactful bat at that spot, could definitely pinch hit for any of those guys if needed. Um, and then, of course, a lot of DHing for a guy like Turner, but Turner can play those corner infield spots in case Springer needs a day to play DH in case Guerrero wants to DH for a game. And they still have, um, 
They still have Jansen and Kirk. So in order to get both those guys um, played appearances, you want them to DH sometimes as well. Yep. So lots of interesting stuff with the Blue Jays. Um, they also went... Uh, I, I'm I'm really curious to see uh, how they look going into next year. The pitching staff I feel like has the names to compete. I think Kikuchi's better than he's played recently. So, um, I, I I will add one thing. I feel like the Blue Jays are not so much like the Brewers, but I just feel like they are a team that just they 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 just need one or two more pieces to really just make that entire team click. They have so many good. Uh, players on on starting pitching in the bullpen on offense I just I feel like year after year the Blue Jays just could be a team that easily can make it to uh to the fall classic but just always stumble in the early rounds and in in the last two years I think it's been the wild card round they've lost both times I think they got swept both years in a row now I'm thinking to the Mariners in 22 and then to uh to the Twins in 23 so I just I they are a team. I, they, they were linked to Cody Bellinger. They were linked to, oh god, what other names were they linked to? I think they were linked to um, Brandon I, Nimmo at one point. That was a couple off seasons ago. But I just, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like they have so much hype going into every off season that they could add some really big pieces. And then you know you end up adding Kevin Kiermeyer again, which nothing on Kevin Kiermeyer. He's going to provide such great defense and, and a left handed bat. But I just, I wish they would do more on the um on uh on acquiring some of these big names i mean they were linked to shohei otani earlier in the year and i was thinking man if shohei could hit in that lineup that would just be incredible but uh you know shohei took his talents to uh 40 miles north but uh it's it's just i I don't i don't get toronto sometimes i just feel like they are a team that they have such a good prime with so many good young players i just feel like they need to make a better effort in the offseason yeah, and that's fair. And I think that they, uh, there are still those pieces they could go out there and add uh, to kind of round things out um, on their team. I think third base, like I mentioned, is a bit of a weakness. Their outfield, um, they already have guys. They have Dalton Varsho. They have Kevin Kiermeyer, who had a good offensive year last year. Probably, I would expect not to fully repeat that, but he's going to give you good defense in center. You have Springer every day in right field, but after that, it does thin out. So if they could find a guy who could play outfield, maybe some DH and shove Turner at third some games, I think that would be a big help for them. Uh, you can maybe even get a guy who's more offensive first that plays the outfield, and then you can always sub in Kiermaier for him or Varsha, who are great defenders. So you really kind of cover yourself. Maybe a right-handed outfielder since Kiermaier and Varsha are lefties. I could see that working well for them. And there are guys on the free agent market, Travis, as well as, of course, trade market that do fit the bill. I'm not sure if they'd go after some of them, but you know, there's guys like Soler who are still in free agency. I mean, if you wanted to get... Uh, if you wanted to kind of revisit an old friend, you got Grichuk on free agency. Eduardo Escobar could be some third base depth for them since they're kind of lacking there. But there are righty hitters that I think uh, can do damage uh, for them. So um, I expect hopefully another move to be made, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, Looking at other moves that have happened, Travis, across MLB, I think another big one we have to touch on is Seattle Mariners trading uh, for Jorge Polanco, it seems like he's going to slot in to second base, maybe some third base. Um, I'm not quite sure how they're going to organize things because actually I think third base is what I was seeing on their depth chart because um, I still expect J.P. Crawford to be getting a bulk of the shortstop reps. Um, but it's definitely an addition of a bat 
uh, Travis, that I think that they did need to do. Uh, I think just a couple episodes ago, if not last episode, I was kind of bashing them. Going through their projected lineup, it was not impressing me at all. I saw a lot of unproven towards the, you know, six through nine spots of the batting order. And they're kind of adding good reinforcement by they went out and got Hanager. We covered that last episode and now they are getting Polanco. So I think it is a good move overall for them to kind of bring MLB kind of win now talent, but not sure if it's enough to really go full competitor. They have lost other guys in the off season. So what was your thoughts seeing that trade? You know, not not very much excitement. Not, not, not super impressed. Yeah, not. I mean, again, they they continue to just they man, just, they, they just, just move, continue to piss me off. I, they I move mean, around I, the I, edges. I, I, I don't I don't even like them. You know, I, I, they're they're an enemy, and so but they just they aren't making the moves that I I would want them to, and, and I just feel like they just kind of are wasting so much time. And I mean, with the talent they have on the roster, it it just seems like another window that's kind of just being slowly wasted away season after season. I, I that, that's. That's kind of me putting it the short way. I just, I, I just kind of fed up with it. Yeah. You think that there's more kind of a, there's a window that they have and they're kind of wasting it. And I do see that, but I, I think I remember reading about they having some financial restrictions due to Bally sports and this and that. And I think the owner has never really fully committed to uh, a win now effort. We, we've heard those funny quotes from uh, their general manager, Jerry DePoto saying their goal is not to win a hundred games is to win, you know, 86 games yeah. every year or whatever it is. And I, uh, even though it, as silly as it sounds, I think there's some merit to that because if you go all in and become a hundred win team losing the first round, and then all of a sudden all your guys leaving free agency, well then you're kind of screwed. But overall, I'm a bit surprised at what they sent away. They're losing uh, Justin Topa, who was a good reliever for them last year. Um, they just received De Sclafani in their trade for Robbie Ray when they sent Ray to the Giants, and they're sending him back to the Twins, and then an outfield prospect by the name of Gabriel Gonzalez. Uh, so I think, oh, and then a minor league pitcher, Darren Bowen. Those are all guys going back to the Twins. I think overall, probably a pretty good deal for the Twins. I think they can replace the value provided by Polanco with other free agents, or they can make further trades, but I think just adding another uh, infield piece uh is not something that's going to be incredibly daunting and then they're getting a lot of pitching depth travis i think topa is going to be a good reliever i think the twins pen could be quite scary uh, i think their pitching uh, starting pitching is was you know it was had that kind of three uh three-headed monster last year i'm interested to see uh, how those guys step up after the departure of gray so overall travis i think that uh not a terrible trade for either team. I think the Mariners are much looking much better now than they did at the beginning of the offseason where I was like, this team feels so shallow. At least now they have Garver getting lots of DH reps. They have... Um, well, the Garver at DH thing is kind of interesting. Like I feel like he's going to be almost a DH almost every day because Cal Raleigh... I mean, you get Cal Raleigh off his feet and let him DH. They can kind of swap a little bit. But Cal Raleigh is the better defensive catcher. And then you also look at um, you look at Ty France as an everyday first baseman. He can't really play elsewhere. So I feel like it's an interesting position to have uh, Mitch Garver just being an everyday DH when he can catch. But he may get some reps there too. Um, but I think you know Polanco, Ty France, Cal Raleigh, J.P. Crawford. Uh, you know they went and got Luke Rayleigh in a trade with the 
raise. Not expecting him to blow anyone's mind, but it's MLB level hitting. Uh, Julio, of course, you expect him to be an MVP candidate. Uh, Hanniger coming back. So there's more bats than there was at the beginning of the offseason for sure. Um, and then my last point is they still feel like they have these weak spots. Uh, Josh Rojas projected to get lots of uh, plate appearances. He was traded. He was received in a trade for Eugenio Suarez from uh, the Diamondbacks. Not super high on him by any means. Um, other guys kind of around their depth, like Luis Urias, I'm not expecting too much from him. Uh, so overall, I think they have spots they could still address. I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to pretty much ride with what they have is my guess. Um, Travis, other deals around MLB, David Robertson went to the Rangers. They went and stole Jared Walsh from the angels after they let him go. Um, the angels made some moves. They reinforced the bullpen by adding Robert Stevenson. Um, it, it to me feels like Perry has to offer some of these relievers multi-year deals because RD is not going to want to compete with high AAV. Um, <laughs> no. That was kind of my observation, but I think he's on a three or four year deal here, Stevenson. And he had really good stuff second half of the season last year with the Rays. Matt Moore is coming back to the Angels. He was very effective for them last year. He was waived. Uh, he was waived just before the the waiver deadline to free up cap space to get under the the tax. Angels also got Aaron Hicks, and he is on an I think it's an MLB deal, but he's still being paid by the Yankees, so it's a minimum deal. It's almost free depth. It's under a million dollars for a guy who was quite good with the Orioles last year, was mm -hmm. not very good with the Yankees. So we'll see which side of him we get. But either way, he's someone who I think hits lefties quite well. So maybe you see some platooning with a guy like Mickey Moniak, or maybe you see some DHing from a guy like Hicks as well. I'll tell you this much, man. We have a we have a fantastic bullpen. You happy with it? We're happy with it, but uh some other areas I'm not too happy You're with. You're concerned or, with the starting pitching is my, <laughs> is, is my thought. Starting pitching to me is still going to be uh, an area I would I would hope to see that they can kind of improve upon in, in the free agency market. They <clears throat> There was whispers earlier in the, in the offseason about, you know, could the Angels make some impact in the trade market? Could they send away some prospects to get guys, yeah, like Corbin Burns, get guys like Shane Bieber if the, if the Guardians and Brewers are not going to commit to these guys long term? They might as well give them to uh, to other teams to uh, to use this year, and then hopefully extend after the season. But I don't. Again, I don't think we have the prospects or the players that really would be acceptable for some of these teams. You know, who knows? Maybe if you add two more guys into a uh, a pack, like uh, basically a four a four player um, pack to the Brewers, maybe you can get something close to Corbin Burns. But I don't know if you would, if Burns would or the Brewers would really want to be. Uh, open to giving uh, giving that guy away for players that really aren't too exciting for you know aren't on the high prospect list you know according to yeah. all these different lists we see all the yeah. time but I um, DL Hall was much higher than any Angels absolutely, prospect yeah. absolutely and so I you know that was kind of a dream but now when you look at uh, the free agency market that's an area where the Angels always seem to be active in or always seem to be linked to players and so. I was definitely hoping that they could go out there and make a splash with some free agent, free agent starting pitchers. I know a good majority of them already signed, but there are still, of course, some good ones out there. I know Blake Snell is still out there. Jordan Montgomery is still out there. They'll probably be signing as we click end of this podcast. But 
Uh, I, if you want another lefty, Travis, there's lefties. I mean, we already have like three and, of them God, or four and, of them. And, but and that's the Ryu, thing too. Ryu, Kershaw, Urias. I mean, the list goes Good on. God, I, Snell, Montgomery, lefties for days. And, and last year it was like Shohei was our only righty. And I was just, I was thinking, you know, man, can we get some right-handed starting pitchers in here? I mean, it's always good to have lefties, but I, I, it's crazy to think that when your entire rotation is lefties, it's it, it could be a recipe for a disaster because in, in three or four game series, um, you know, the opponent's going to be just batting righties all day, every single day. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I want to see, hopefully see some, some, some last minute, you know, additions. I know it's February 1st and some big fish are still out there. It's, it is kind of upsetting that in, in baseball off seasons, you know, year after year, it just kind of gets worse, Alex. I just feel like we see so many huge names waiting till the middle or end of January or even February. And it's like, Pitchers and catchers report in in three weeks. I mean, I, I mean, we we we're we're on the home stretch now. It's it's almost time for for baseball to start, you know, getting back into the swing of things. And you still have so many guys that don't have homes yet. And I think as fans, it's frustrating because you want to see, you kind of want to make your your okay. Here here is what my starting nine looks like. Here is what my rotation looks like. You know, how can I see this against other teams? you know when it goes up to different projections and and right now there's still so many teams that have um key players to add and it's um it it is upsetting and i know the players probably want to have deals already but there are things that get in the way uh contracts get in the way and and, and language in those contracts definitely are things you got to fix and, and 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 get through but i just yeah I, I look at uh i look at the angels right now and, and i i'm i'm not I'm not crazy about them this year. I, I'm I'm not looking at them as like, wow, we can be a sneaky wild card team. But I, I, with a couple of players, could we get into that area? Yeah, of course. It's baseball; anything can happen. And with you know, with new management, with you know, Ron Washington and a new staff, I'm very optimistic that we can get some some very good numbers from some guys that we have not seen uh, produce. And 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 that's the part that I'm looking at. But I, I want to have that you know reassurance that we're going to have this these some of these veterans that are you know, used to and, and, and consistently putting together uh, good seasons that could that could help us win. You know, I, I think there's just a lot of what ifs right now at the Angels. You know, what if this guy were to be healthy? What if this guy were to, uh, you know, play 100 games or 150 games? You know, I, I just don't I don't know a lot right now at the Angels. And that's, of course, as a, as a fan, it's it's always troubling because you want to have the, you know, the uh, the certainty that, you know, this team's one through nine is a playoff caliber team but of course when i was angel fans you definitely feel that that we're not yeah and it's it's tough to kind of figure out exactly what the best addition is because like you said there is weakness in the rotation for whatever reason travis um that's been okay for certain teams in recent history at least for some in some cases i feel like the cardinals are a team who, who in recent years haven't had an ace obviously last year they weren't very good but the prior couple seasons they were playoff teams with adam wainwright as their best pitcher you know um an old you know 40 year old adam, adam wainwright at that and then last year the orioles i mean their aces were not guys who i really wanted starting in the playoffs but it got them there to over 100 wins so while i do agree the angels should be adding should be looking to add some pitching depth i think they should be looking to add whoa thunder travis you hear that i wonder if the mics caught that but um that's okc is that you that 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 spooked us a little bit but um yeah Travis, i think that they should be looking to add wherever they can find value on the free agent market especially the trade block 
Um, I feel like they might have one outfielder too many at the moment. You can see what you can get for maybe an Adele or a Moniac. Um, now that you have Hicks, or maybe they just want to keep that depth on the bench. Uh, that could be a, a path forward as well. But, I mean, Renjifo is someone who maybe had some value in the trade market. Not exactly sure how they're going to approach um, you know, trying to build out this team. I think they will make more moves. Not exactly sure what they'll be, but yeah, looking at their pitching, like you mentioned, the starting pitching, a lot of it is not um, blowing anyone's mind. Reed Detmers, I think, has a, a bright future. Um, but, you know, last year was not spectacular. It definitely had its moments. Patrick Sandoval, um, he has his moments as well, but, you know, not an all-star by any means. Uh, Tyler Anderson had a pretty poor year last year. I'm not super high on him. Canning is someone who I think has upside as well as Chase Silseth, but not a lot of proven things there. Uh, Plesak was someone they brought in uh, earlier in free agency who had a really poor year last year. Um, I'm not really sure after that. The depth really seems like it falls off. Uh, and it really comes down to the bullpen. If the bullpen can be locked down, it can kind of bide time for us to figure out the rotation struggles if we do struggle early in that regard. But Overall, Travis, I'm interested to see what that team looks like on opening day. Speaking of Angels opening day, Travis, I believe it is against the Orioles. I was so, just, I was, I was hoping you bring that up because I saw it literally as we were talking about the Corbin Burns, and I was like, oh, 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 great. Yeah. We, we literally get to pro- most likely we'll be facing uh, in some order Corbin Burns, Grayson Rodriguez, and um, Kyle Bradish in our first three games of the season. It'll be a good test for our hitters right off the bat, so that should be fun. Um, oh, easy, easy money because I mean the Orioles are going to come in; they're going to come in nervous. They're going to be cocky, you know. Cocky. Like, we just got our, you know, their 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 hopes are high. We're going to come in loose, and we'll take two or three. I mean, no problem at all. I, I I very very high on that. Yeah, I think the worst series of my life was the Angels in Baltimore getting swept in four games in twenty twenty two. I think yeah. that was that yeah. was just. Um, when the Orioles were like just starting to catch fire and but they were still like 500 and we were have batting Juan Lagares and Jonathan VR and I think we had like a five run lead and Jonathan Villar might be my least favorite angel but AJ um, when 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 the time comes and you know it, it's sad to say like hopefully in our lifetime but I, I think it will happen in our lifetime but you know you know angels hoist another trophy you know hopefully in the near future we can at least look back at just some of the pain AJ, we have moments in our head, and this I think it's funny because it, it, we have some moments that when we were in high school or college, but we have moments that after college just stick with us. You know, the Fletcher sliding in at home plate against the Orioles. You know, there are moments like that that you can – there are images that you can see, and you're like, man, like only true Angel fans know what this was like. Like you can just – you can be a faker and just say, oh, yeah, we, we went through pain and suffering, but you you really don't know the moments that we, we've endured over the past, uh, you know – four or five seasons it's it's uh it's fun it's you know it's fun to revisit (laughs) yeah and and it really just comes down to i mean when it comes to the angels i feel like it just comes down to complete awful front office and ownership i was gonna say ownership is the is the word that comes to mind in terms of you hear that it's just that's just that's rolling thunder that's a sign you know it's like he who must not be named was mentioned (laughs) but um that thunder was uh a cue for me to talk about the fact that the baltimore orioles just sold the team immediately are making big money moves i would wonder what would happen if that happened with the angels of course Artie marino put the team up for sale last off season we thought that maybe we get a new owner in for an otani extension for a bright future 
but here we are, Travis. We are without a new owner. Um, we will see uh, how that situation develops in the coming years. Artie apparently wants to win now. If we don't look promising at all this year, I imagine he says it's time to, to, to sell the team. If he's not going to spend, I mean, what are we doing here? So Last dance right here, you know, 2024. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> last year was the last dance, and it failed. And so now it's like, well, now what? Like, we didn't get the last episode that, that we wanted. That was truthfully, yeah, that, that, that was truly the last dance, and it just could not have turned out worse for the Angels. And, Imagine if and, if Jordan's last dance, 98 leaders, like, like didn't make the playoffs. Like, yeah, oh, that, yeah. was, that was fun. Like, <laughs> like it's, a, it's an 82-game season, so let's just say that the, the— They won, like, they won they like, like 35 <laughs> and, and, like, I don't know, what's whatever. their 48 or something like that, but— yeah, it's it's it just seems like if they're not win this season and it just gets worse, which again, could they be better than 73 wins? Yeah, I, if everyone's healthy, I definitely can think they could be better than 73 wins. But I think that right now their their ceiling, Alex, is very low and their their um, I'm sorry, their their floor is very low yeah. and their ceiling is just not. It's like licking that eighty win mark. I, I mean, an, like. an, another—that's just my my. Um, yeah, an, 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 my another opinion. another trout injury, and we're looking at our best players are Logan Ohapi, who I really like, Zach Aneto, who I really like, but they're so young. And, you know, Nolan Shannon was so young. Mm-hmm. Brandon Drury, last year of his deal, I think if we suck, he'd get traded the deadline. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, if Trout does get hurt again, we're looking at our best players being guys who have never really been in that spot before. Yeah. Rendon. Uh, going to be a question mark pretty much for the rest of his Angels career. <laughs> going into every season, yeah. we're not going to know exactly what we're going to get from him. Yeah. Travis, Fangraphs is bold. 490 PAs. You taking the over or the under for Rendon? 490 PAs. Oh, Four. I'm taking the under. Give me that right now. Let's yeah. go right here. How many I, How many 10-day IL stints for Rendon? Yeah, you got to you got to be thinking at, at least three this next season. But you got to keep saying, as an Angels fan, how can it get worse with his injuries? How, how can a guy have he, this much... He's he he he's pretty much hardly played the last two three seasons, so it really cannot go down. It's like we're paying. No, exactly. But it's yeah. But we're we're what what's hurting the most is we're paying this guy for sitting on the bench, and that's just and that's of course just a a tragedy, just because so much of that money could be used in so many different off seasons and signing key players and. We we just continue to see this guy on the IL and 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 even when he when he is playing at certain points, he's not the player that he was in 2019 with the Nationals. And that's the player I think Angel fans and ownership envisioned at the hot corner for the Angels. But we just the 2019 know, juice ball fooled us we, all. Uh, yeah, we didn't. We, we we're not getting that right now. But that's why we got Renhifo as third base depth, Travis. God. No, let us keep things rolling to a new topic here. Uh, we need to briefly go over the Hall of Fame results, Travis. The Hall of Fame inducted new members. Do you want to share the details with us? I will definitely do so. Uh, Once you pull so, it up, yeah. Uh, so yeah. You, we know off the top of our head, off the top of last episode, uh, we were pretty much discussing how we saw at least one guy getting in. I don't think either of us thought we were going to see three new guys getting in, right? Yes. Um, yes. So with that being said, uh, we'll go ahead and kind of first talk about the guys who are going to be inducted um, in 2024 here. And then the guys that are really close, I think Wagner is just right on the cusp of getting in and he will be in his 10th year yes. on the ballot next year. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I might, I think I'm actually I might write an article about that because I just feel like there's, um, 
is such a unique guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame in terms Absolutely. of how good he was in a very small sample. So, um, and then so some guys didn't make big gains. I think that A Rod didn't make huge gains. I think that uh, Sheffield is now off the ballot. His tenth year, mm-hmm. he did not meet that minimum uh, percentage threshold of votes, but. Travis, go ahead and let us know who is now going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so uh, it 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 was it was a surprise. I I definitely think that you know it. I'll say it was a surprise. It also wasn't a surprise. But basically, what I mean by that is Adrian Beltre, Alex. We we knew he was going to be first ballot. It's it's cool to see him get ninety five plus percent of the vote. He did finish at ninety five point one. So again, a very large. Um, portion of the uh, of the voters believe that Adrian Beltre is a Hall of Famer and especially when you got a guy that has a 90 plus war in his career absolutely he kind of checks all the boxes he has 3,000 plus hits he's got um, you know I think it's what 500 or 600 plus doubles OPS is is very good he's got you know many gold gloves at the hot corner so he he does have a lot of stats that many other people would like uh, advanced stats and also uh, traditional stats, but he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Todd Helton gets in on his sixth year on the ballot at seventy nine point seven percent, so just about four point seven percent votes higher than uh, than than the seventy five threshold that you need to have to get in. So that's exciting to have Todd Helton in. I've been I've been on him for you know the last three or four years. I've wanted to see him get into the Hall of Fame. He's made traction every single year. Uh, it's good to see him get in, and then. Very, very much surprised, Alex. Not surprised that he's a Hall of Famer, but very surprised first-year ballot. Joe Maurer gets in with 76.1% of the votes. That's awesome to see. That is, um, I mean, Joe Maurer is is almost like today's generation of like a, a, a Tony Gwynn. Just a complete contact hitter. And he's playing the catching position. Not many catchers, if not any catchers, have had the contact numbers and the offensive numbers that Joe Maurer has put together in his career. I mean, you look at him and you might say, yeah, they're good in some areas, but not great. But batting over 300 as a catcher, not done very much. And then also with the batting titles, with the MVP finishes, not many catchers in the game have ever done that. So kudos to Joe Maurer. Definitely deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. And I do like that he is on the on the, um, on the first year belt. That, I mean, I think that's a huge, huge honor for, for Maurer to go in first year. But those are the three guys that got in um, very well deserving. Alex, I think me and you both uh, were, you know, just just highly uh, we're very high on on all three of these guys. And I think me and you last last episode did put our vote towards these three guys. But moving on to the guys that, you know, just were close, not um, but but did fall short. Uh, Billy Wagner, he was in his ninth year on the ballot. So next year, again, he is in his final season on their final year on the ballot. He finished this year with 73.8. I mean, it's it's crazy enough, but it's just so close, but yet you're so far away from achieving 75%. So he'll have to gain uh, 1.2% of the vote next year. Alex, I'm a betting man. I, I think he does it. I, I think that we've, with social media and with, you know, the the ballot year after year, I just feel like we get certain guys that are, are, are on it for their last year that, we're good players and 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 good to the game, and I feel like baseball kind of treats them back and 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 will now um, will will we'll show more highlights of Billy Wagner throughout the throughout the year and as they come to voting next year, we'll see more um, more highlight films of Bill Wagner and uh, and and what he did in his Hall of Fame career and also see the numbers that he provided. But 
I, uh, I, I definitely think he is a guy that will be in next year uh, with getting 1.2% uh, of the vote that would achieve the 75. But uh, guys like Andrew Jones, um, they made small traction. Uh, he made small traction, 61.6% of the vote. Carlos Beltran made a jump. He is now almost at 60, 57.1%. So Beltran continues to kind of climb. A-Rod, uh, not too much of a jump. And same thing with Manny. The, both those guys did not make uh, a, a huge climb um, on their uh, on their way to Cooperstown. Both guys are in, in different um, positions of their Hall of Fame uh, ballot life. But uh, A-Rod's in his third year. Manny's in his eighth year. It does not look like Manny is going to be making the Hall of Fame uh, with only 32% in his eighth year chase Utley, alex we've been high on chase first year he got 28.8 percent but um that you know just kind of covering some of those guys uh, i won't go down the list just because there are certain guys that are kind of in the teens that uh, don't really want to talk about too much but also looking on the guys that were first round exits that we kind of predicted but victor martinez batista uh jose batista bartolo Colon, matt holiday Adrian Gonzalez, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, and James Shields. All those guys were first-round exits. Those are all expected first-round exits. But who, who out there has Brandon Phillips on their ballot? That's my question. Yeah. No, you, no, no shade, no disrespect. But when there's all these other names and Brandon Phillips gets a vote, it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny to me. I, I do want to talk about that a little bit because it is, it is, it is interesting that you know guys gave votes for Victor Martinez, Jose Batista. Bartolo Colon, Matt Holiday, you know, Adrian Gonzalez. And yeah, you might say, you know, as a Padres fan, you might say, man, we really love Adrian Gonzalez. He is a great Padre. But at the same time, I I don't really want to use I, I don't I don't like them using a vote just to kind of give a guy credit and say, yeah, yeah pat you, on the back almost. Yeah. You know, like we're, I don't want you to get 0.0 percent of the vote. I want you to at least walk away with one or two votes. So I'm going to give you a vote here. And so I, I don't. I don't necessarily like that, and so it, it, you could be using that vote elsewhere. And I think a lot of guys would greatly appreciate that, like Billy Wagner. If if the voters for Jose Batista, maybe if they didn't vote for uh, Billy Wagner, they use that for Billy Wagner. He's a Hall of Famer this year, but um, you know that's just the way it goes. But uh, going back to one last guy on the first year, but David Wright, Alex, thank you. He did get six point two percent of the vote. He it, survives. He survives. It's slim. I just by that, Alex, I just don't see him making the climb year after year to achieve 75%. You kind of get a good traction of where a guy's going to be after his first year. It's good to see Chase Utley almost at 30%. That means that more than a quarter of the voters do think he is a Hall of Famer. So that does give him some time, I think, over the next couple of years to kind of raise 5% or so uh, and climb as he gets to year 10. I, I, I don't know what Utley is projecting for right now for uh, what year he might you might see him get in, but it is cool to see a guy like that get a a good chunk to start off his uh, his first year. But with David Wright, it's uh, it's nice to see him get uh, north of five percent. But it's not you know it's not it's not impressive that we would probably be seeing with some other guys. But what, what's your thoughts? I, I kind of rambled on about that, but what, what's your thoughts on um, on on a good chunk of these first year guys and then the guys that made it, guys that are just you know just close to getting in, but what, what's your overall thought on the voting? Yeah, I'm overall pretty happy with a lot of it. Um, the guys who are one and done, it all kind of makes sense. I'm very glad that Wright will be sticking around on the ballot for some time here. I could see him making steady gains. Uh, like you said, it's probably, probably quite unlikely he makes enough gains to really be a big threat for that 75%. But, I mean, you look at a guy like Bobby Abreu, he's now about 15% Bobby Abreu. 
in his fifth year. I remember when he first joined the ballot, I felt like people didn't think he'd even make 5%. And now look at him at 15. Obviously, he's still a long shot to get in. But those steady climbs do happen as years go on. People start thinking about uh, past players a little bit differently. We put them in a bit of a different context as the game kind of evolves. We say, hey, maybe in a couple years we value David Wright a bit more. Maybe we care a little bit more about uh, peak war seasons. I know he had some really good years. And maybe maybe we care less about the longevity. Not sure how the voters' minds might change in the coming decade, but to be free, to be safe from uh, from being dropped out is, I think, a really good spot to be uh, so far for him. Other guys that are safe from getting getting dropped, like Tory Hunter and, and Francisco Rodriguez, guys who are fan favorites. I think Burley is also kind of a fan favorite for some. Those are all guys who I think it's pretty good to uh, see them remain on the ballot. Uh, people can continue to make a case for them. And, and that's really what I like, Travis. I want guys who, even if they're not obvious Hall of Famers, let's just, if they deserve to stay on, let's keep them on. And so people can continue to make a case, right? I want more people to get a chance to say, you know what? Here's the case for David Wright. Here's the case for Francisco Rodriguez. He's got the fourth most saves ever. And he had the most saves in a single season. And people can kind of dive into those years and how good was he in those seasons? And, in terms of other relievers of his time and of the modern times, was he the last great reliever who was going to get over, you know, 400, whatever saves, you know, I want more conversations like that. And so that's really yeah. fun. Alex. Got, oh, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Just a couple more notes, just really quick. Chase Utley. Uh, I'm very glad with where he's at. I think he'll make a lot of strides in years to come. Like you mentioned, a rod is someone who I think should be a hall of famer before it's all said and done. He still could do it, but did not make very many gains. Like you mentioned, Beltron did make some big gains. It feels like he's on track to be an easy Hall of Famer, already almost at 60% after two seasons. I think he'll climb his way right up in there in, in a handful of years here. Uh, Andrew Jones, uh, only a few years left, needs to climb about 15%. And then, yeah, uh, Sheffield's off the list. I, he didn't get my vote in theory. Yeah. Um, I'm not a I'm not a voter for the people <laughs> listening at home. But, yeah, he I, I, I'm kind of okay with that. He was a really great hitter, but... Uh, there's just the steroid questions for me. Not much of an all-around player besides the bat, so it's tough. Um, but Travis, I'm very happy that Wagner is on the cusp. I hope he gets in next year. We'll be making that case when that time comes. And then Helton is great. Beltre is great. We know that. And then Maurer is that surprise you mentioned. I think I saw a stat. He's the only catcher to, sorry, the only American League catcher to ever win a batting title, and he did it three times. Mm. Um, you can make a case he's one of the best offensive american league catchers of all time if you look at a lot of the like career war stuff for catchers he's at the top of that list in many regards and i think that you know it is important to note he actually i think played more career innings um away from catcher than at catcher if you look at uh dh'ing and first base but um the fact that you played that long into your, you know, middle, almost late thirties, um, is a big deal. And in his peak MVP seasons, he was one of the best hitters in baseball as a full-time Ironman catcher playing every game. So hats off to him. We're both fans of his, uh, it's all very good and exciting. So we'll cover more of that stuff next year. And I think you have a bit of a preview for us here. Yeah. I, uh, so I just sent you over a, um, kind of a preview of the 2025 ballot. I always like doing this, Alex. We always talk about the results you know, what we see with the guys that are, you know, not on the ballot anymore, guys that are going into Cooperstown, that kind of that, that middle tier that we talked about, you know, guys between their, you know, now their second or their ninth year or 10th year on the ballot, 
we kind of dissect that but it was always fun to look ahead and see the 2025 class and it's 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 crazy to see now that the 2025 class alex is truly guys that we almost almost started watching when we played video games with these players yeah I, i mean these are guys that we we started watching baseball when these guys careers began and so it's cool to see that now we're getting into the classes that you know me and you have uh we've seen these guys start out as rookies and then you know now they're in their first season or their first year on the on the ballot for the hall of fame but i'll kind of go over that and my thoughts on what i see next year happening uh with some of these guys but in the uh in the 2025 class it's it's uh it's a pretty good group but it's uh gonna start out with uh, ichiro suzuki cc sabathia curtis granderson felix hernandez troy tulowitzki hanley ramirez dustin madroya ian kinsler Ben Zobrist, Melky Cabrera, Adam Jones, and finally wrapping it up, Russell Martin. A lot of guys, Alex, that I, I'll tell you, man, they had such exciting and good primes. I mean, guys like Hanley Ramirez and Troy Tulowitzki, there were points in the game where people were saying, are these guys the best players in the game? There were, there were seasons that they were definitely getting a lot of consideration, and they were they were young, they were they're vibrant, and it, it just seemed like they could definitely become the, you know, that next Jeter or that next young A-Rod uh, at the shortstop position. But, you know, looking at the 2025 class, Alex, I'll quickly kind of go over my predictions and what I kind of see happening. Uh, first things first, each row is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, Alex. I kind of stated that in a, in a text with you and a couple other guys, but um, definitely 95 plus percent of the vote. Alex, I think you mentioned he 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 really could get unanimous yeah and honestly he should i mean if you put ichiro suzuki in the mlb at the age of 21 he has the all-time hits record by far i think he might have pete rose beat by like 200 or 300 hits it's absolutely absurd what he did in japan and then what he did coming over to the states i think age 27 or 28 and was still able to get 3,000 hits so he is a first bout hall of famer uh guys that i see getting five percent or more on the ballot their first year Definitely CC Sabathia. And honestly, Alex, he could be a guy that could be close to a um, a 75%. I think with 3,000 strikeouts, that's a very nice threshold that you could start off with and say, man, this guy was a dealer. He was a, a he was an elite pitcher for so many seasons. So definitely Sabathia getting five, 5% or more. I just don't know if he etches out to, uh, to 75%, but definitely 5% he'll get on the next year's ballot. Curtis Granderson, I definitely see as well getting 5%. I think just with being a fan favorite, which again, I don't really want to lean towards, but I think that some voters like that and they say, oh, you know, he was a good guy. You know, we we, we like him because he was a he, he was nice to us in the media after games. But I think Granderson gets 5% uh, of the vote or or higher. I think King Felix gets, uh, gets a good chunk of the vote as well. He had so many seasons where, you know, was, was stuck in Seattle, but was a dominant starting pitcher for so many years. So again, he will stay on the ballot after year one. And then I think also Dustin Pedroia, that MVP and just that prime with the Red Sox, I think is going to get get him a lot of respect with voters. I think Pedroia is definitely going to get 5% or more. I don't see Pedroia at all making the Hall of Fame. I've seen some comments on Twitter about him and making a case for the Hall of Fame. I just, I don't see it. So I'm sorry, but it's it just probably, it's not going to happen. Um Guys that are going to get under 5%, again, a good group of guys that had huge impacts in different spots in their career for different teams in the playoffs or in the regular season. But 
Hanley Ramirez, Troy Tulowitzki, Ben Zobris, Melky Cabrera, Adam Jones, Russell Martin, and Ian Kinsler. Those are guys I probably just don't see getting 5% of the vote in the first year. It will be uh, first-round exits. But that's kind of my spiel, Alex. What, what do you make of next year's class? Who do you see uh, getting uh, you know north 5%? Who might get in first year or even you know guys that are going to be first round exits no i pretty much agree with all your picks in regards to who makes it first year uh only guy who's a lock for that is suzuki i guess cc has a chance i really didn't think about him at that high of a regard but i think he definitely will be a hall of famer before his time on the ballot's over um and everyone below that i don't really see uh approaching 75 percent um he's kind of going back to cc he's kind of like a very similar, you know, ERA numbers is very similar to Mark Burley and Andy Pettit. So I, I definitely can see the people out there saying, well, how the hell did Burley and Pettit not get, you know, 25% or 30% of the vote, but CC did. Um, some milestones that voters might look at and see is he's got 250 plus wins. I, I don't care about that, but that seems to some, be a milestone. Some people will care about that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are going to care about that. I guarantee that. And uh, he does have uh, 3,000 um strikeouts which is again it's kind of compared to hits and uh, a lot of people and a lot of voters look at that as you know being a very good comparison to hits and if you have 3,000 hits you're most likely going to be in the hall of fame so if you have 3,000 strikeouts you're pretty much tracking to be in the hall of fame and cc did have a very good prime with the indians with the that short stint with the brewers which was like all-time level cc and then also with the early years with the yankees he was uh he was an elite pitcher and uh, was uh, getting you know tons of Cy Young votes those seasons. So again, I probably would say he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes, but I would have to look more in the numbers and do a deeper dissect because um, I think with him it's just more about the longevity than uh, some of these short-term uh, prime numbers you might look at. But he does have those too, you know. Yeah, but I, I, it's uh, it, it's 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 a good it's a good career. CC does check boxes for most people. If you love the longevity, he has a crazy amount of strikeouts and innings pitched for a career. He was a workhorse in his prime. I mean, you're looking at like some he's in 250 innings pitched in, a, in some of these years. Um, if you really care about peak, he has a Cy Young Award in 2007 where he led baseball in innings pitched. He led the American League in games started. He led baseball in batter's face. So he was the biggest workhorse as well as throwing uh, a really effective 3.2 ERA in a pretty offensive uh, league. And then the next year, he had that monster year you're talking about where he threw over 250 innings. He started out with Cleveland um, and threw a 3.83 ERA, not great. Gets traded over to Milwaukee. Uh, goes 11 and two with them in 17 starts. I mean, 130 innings in 17 starts. That's just it's it's and, it's crazy. And a 1.65 ERA in that amount of time. Since he uh, crossed leagues, there he didn't end up winning a Cy Young award, but he did get fifth and he got sixth in MVP voting. So that's pretty special. And then he becomes a Yankee, gets his ring, has many uh, very good seasons, not reaching that same peak again, but still getting Cy Young votes in the top five multiple more times. So I think he checks boxes for most voters. He's got the World Series. He's got the um, the peak seasons. He's got the longevity. So there's lots to like. Um, and overall, a career of 62 war for baseball reference war is pretty, uh, pretty solid in my opinion. So, God, seven complete games with the Brewers when he got traded. Out of what, 17? Out of 17. That's it's, crazy. I mean, I mean, he literally, what, I, I mean, going back, I, I would, you know, there are so many times I wish I could go back and do documentaries on certain cool, you know, 
you know, different seasons or different times of the game. But that 2008 Milwaukee team was so fun because it was the rise of, you know, Ryan Braun. You had good offense. Also, Prince Fielder was a stud. You had CeCe on the mound. It, it was such a fun team to look at. But I remember when he got traded, it was like one of the craziest two or three months of, uh, of of Major League Baseball starting pitching. And he was just unbelievable at it. And I mean, he was going out there every single start. And it just felt like he was going to go seven or eight innings. He was not going to have a bad start. And he was going to give everything he had to the, to the Brewers. And it was just, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, and, and uh, moving on, uh, Felix Hernandez is someone who also um, was a great starting pitcher around the same era. Um, did not have the same amount of longevity. Also had um, a lot of longevity, but CC was kind of another level. Uh, King Felix definitely had the peak. He definitely had um, this like stretch of it looks like about two thousand six to seven to seasons. Yeah, yeah, six seven seasons where he's getting uh, top ten Cy Young votes pretty much every single year. Besides one, he is pitching over two hundred innings every single year. He is getting, uh, you know, MVP consideration in some of these seasons. He's leading in innings pitch sometimes, leading in ERA in other seasons. He's leading in stats all over the place, um, limiting home runs, uh, you know, a good FIP in, in, in 2012. So just looking at his numbers overall, I definitely see lots of upside. And Travis, I remember obviously facing him, uh, watching my team face him. Obviously, I didn't face him. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, damn. All I right, was in no. the box. No, watching my team face him, uh, it was always scary. So I can. he's one of these guys, Travis, like you mentioned, we have seen these guys in their peak of their powers um, not too long ago, it feels like, and he already um, is on the ballot here. It's going to be fun to see where he kind of lands in that first year percentage-wise. I think a lot of people really like him, so there's a, definitely a chance that he gets decent consideration, but... For me, Travis, he's almost in the same vein as like a David Wright. Maybe people might think Felix was peak Felix is a better pitcher than David Wright yeah. as a third baseman. But just the fact, my, my point there is that Felix hits age uh, 30 season, goes up to almost a four ERA. He's at a 3.82 mm -hmm. in 150 innings. I assume there's some injury going on there because he didn't even get to... Over, barely over 150 then the next year less than 100 innings pitched and in the next two years not even complete seasons above a five era he is out of baseball pretty much never pitching again after his age 33 season um i was gonna say because didn't you know when 2020 happened i think he signed with the braves and never and, and never, never played pitched. with them yeah and, and then, then he signed, he with, signed with the, with the orioles. orioles and he never pitched and he yeah. never pitched for this. i think it's i like, think it's spring training for them and, and I so i think after 2021 he's probably thinking do i play in 2022 i'm getting older i'm not getting any younger my numbers have just dipped since i hit 30 and uh or 31 and so it it is kind of uh it's it's crazy to look at that man if if you know, maybe if 2020 didn't happen or, or COVID didn't happen, it, it would have just maybe kind of changed things a little bit. But it is, uh, it, it is, it is crazy to look at that. Two seasons went by, and you know he made zero appearances. It's, it's, it's. Uh, I remember him in an interview, I think in spring training for the Orioles, and he was like, "I came here to," I think he said he's like, "I came here to win," and like everyone's <laughs> just kind of like, "What are you talking about, man?" Like it's. Is the Baltimore Orioles in 2021? You came like, to the wrong place. Like it's it's it's. I, I think we've had this conversation before, probably on this podcast. It's good to see pitchers go out there and say, "I'm not here to you know mess around or you know I'm not here to look flashy. I'm here it's to like win." This team is looking at draft Adley Rushman. Okay. At, at the same time, it's like, come on, guys. The the, the Baltimore Orioles are here to uh, 
uh, get better draft stock. But yeah, anyways, uh, what uh, else? What, what other guys jumps out to you? Yeah, I'll keep rattling some names off. Kinsler and Tulo, both guys who I love watching in their primes. Pedroia was a great guy in his prime. You mentioned the, you mentioned the MVP season that could get him some love and some buzz, but obviously don't see him as a Hall of Famer. Hanley Travis was one of my favorite players in his prime. I think every single video game, for whatever reason, I always picked him Absolutely. first in a, whatever, you know, NL All-Star team when he was a Marlin. Um, and then, of course, he kind of uh, bounced around the league to different teams. Uh, I think that peak uh, Florida Marlins run of his, like you said, we kind of thought he was the next big superstar. Didn't really pan out quite that way. Um, and then that bottom row of guys that you mentioned, Zobrist, not a Hall of Famer. I do think that he is under a goat utility, man. Uh, he's very <laughs> underrated in his skill set. I think he's like arguably one of the best career utility men of all time. Absolutely. He was on multiple teams that were winners and he was able to be a Swiss army knife in all those roles. He was consistently an above average hitter consistently. I mean, if you look at his peak, Travis, I mean, this is crazy. In 2009, he actually had a 8.7 fan graphs of war season. Cause he, um, had a, almost a 300 average. He had a, a 405 on base. That's really impressive. And, and, and then, I mean, almost a 950 OPS. What a season. I feel like I've never heard anyone talk about this season. He struck he struck out less than 20% of the time. He and walked Alex, over 15% of the Alex, time. Alex, do yourself a favor and just look at all the positions he played. It's, I mean, I mean, I mean he nuts. literally played every single position while hitting that good. It's, I think that's kind of what jump-started his, um, his career. I, 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 he definitely got started, you know, he got st- he got started too late in his career, you know, by age 27, 20, 28 was a season. He actually it was a breakout. Playing, yeah. And, and he played north of 63 games. But, um, you know, kind of going back to what you mentioned, you know, was a huge piece in so many championships. The Rays going to the World Series in 08, the Royals winning the World Series in um, 2015, the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. So, again, I feel like during that 2013 to 2017 time time frame it was just like man he is a huge huge piece in a team that's going to the playoffs so yes he's he's a championship level type player and 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 that's what definitely he got of out of in 2015 and 16. yeah and in 2009 that super season we're talking about um in eight seven fangraphs war and then two years or three two years later he is a 6.4 the next year a 5.7 so really lots of not only all-star level seasons, but like, you know, getting, you know, in my mind should be getting MVP consideration, um, has good defensive numbers as well as the defensive versatility and a well above average offensive player, um, with good plate skills. So just a a guy you want to have for sure, Mm -hmm. um, has two more good years with Tampa Bay before having, um, some very solid, um, uh, just above average years with the Cubs as an older player, but still gives you that versatility. And of course, won that ring, which uh, a lot of people are going to remember. So he is someone who is, in my mind is underrated in the way you think about him. I think people think about him as like, Oh, he was like a good, like, you know, like role player. But no, I think in my mind, his peak, he was a top, top contributor for his team. But that being said, he won't be a hall of famer. Unfortunately, I'd love to see some people make an interesting case. You can see how you can spin it. You know, not that I'd vote for him per se, but I want to see someone make a fun case. Milky Travis, I think next to zero chance he gets five percent. He did have um, that un- incredible year that was then the reason it was caused by steroids. So yeah, I mean that I that's he hit like what he hit like three sixty for like the Giants <laughs> or, the, or one year. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna uh, just, just a goat uh, bench Yankee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he had like a great left field one season. But um, Adam Jones, um, great guy, uh, very good player. I don't expect him to be in these conversations at all. Um, and Russell Martin Travis is the guy who I'll end on here. For me, 
one of the most underrated guys on this list. Do I expect him to make much traction at all? No. Would I ex- would I be super, super stunned if he got less than 5%? No. But I think he is probably the most underrated catcher of his era. Um, I say that because Fangraphs just really, really, really loves his defense, his framing, which is Framing, for some reason, is captured in Fangraphs War, but not Baseball Reference War. And that makes up for a really big difference. He has a career of 55 Fangraphs War. And his career on Baseball Reference is what? Like, it's like 40 or less? It's 38.38. It's like a 20, it's like a 20 war difference. And like that, you know, people who, (laughs) I, I, I hate when people discount war, but someone who's like a war hater should look at this and be like, they don't even know what they're doing. Cause yeah. like this one site has his war 20 points less than this site. And, yeah. and, and that's a very valid point because um, Russell Martin is probably a prime example of a guy who could not be looked at more differently depending on which stats you look at. And his offense many years below average, even in his, like what should be his physical prime, he's uh, in, age 26 age 27 age 29 he was a below average hitter yeah. but he was playing all world defense and he has some really special years a 7.9 fangraphs war in 2008 because he was an above average hitter and an elite elite probably the best defensive catcher in baseball at that time and even when he was old at age 36 for the dodgers in 2019 when they made the uh they're still making the playoffs he was their bench catcher um he was still a well above average defensive catcher even though a bad hitter at that time so he is someone travis who i think has a fun case i also like his career track the way he was a young dodger um impactful a lot of dodger fans liked him then he had some big moments in pittsburgh um they, they made the playoffs with him right i think didn't he have that moment off cueto yeah Am yeah mistaken? he had the moment yeah. off cueto that was that was in the wild card game though it's iconic so, and, then, yeah. and then toronto that was a playoff team when he was there as well so just yeah. a guy who kind of followed around some good teams so i don't expect him to make that many waves but he is someone travis who i want i want some super defensive stats nerd who's way smarter than me to kind of explain to me and everyone else why he was such a good defensive catcher i'd be very interested to see that but as it stands of course not expecting him to be a Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination. I think someone who's very underrated, though, Russell yeah. Martin. Uh, I, I would say this. This class is it's just a lot of fun guys that we'd yes. love to have on our team because they either had just tremendous primes or were just very underrated players that no one really thought about but were just, just high-level impact guys that just were – so crucial to championship ball clubs. So again, it, it's a fun class. And looking at it, I, I, I we, we, we agree. We only saw Ichiro being a first year ballot Hall of Famer, but so many guys that were like, man, I, I would love to have, you know, 2011 Tulowitzki. I'd love to have 2009 Hanley Ramirez. I'd love to have, you know, Ben Zobris and all those years with the Royals and the uh, and the Cubs, where he was just a, a, a crazy utility guy. And and the, the list can go on and on, but it's just it's it's a fun list that you you look at, and so many teams that um that really benefit from these guys. So it's 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 a fun list to kind of look at and and, and take a deep dive into. So yeah, I'm glad we kind of went into that 2025. But yeah, it seems that right now the voters will probably be you know at least almost every single voter should be giving one vote to each row and then they'll have nine votes left to divvy it up to 
who else do they want to give him to? So yeah, and and I think one good thing for a guy like Wagner or anyone else who's kind of knocking in that door of seventy five percent who are going to be on the ballot from years past, the fact that there's not like if there was like five new guys who were like Hall of Fame locks, it put a guy like Wagner in a tough spot. But the fact that only Ichiro is a lock, and maybe some guys might vote for Sabathia, maybe maybe a handful, small handful of guys will vote for like a Felix or a Pedroia or a Granderson. Um, that might affect those um, returning guys a little bit, but not too much. I think guys like Wagner, guys like uh, Beltron, uh, you know, guys like Utley, A-Rod won't probably lose too many voters. I think most guys that have voted for them in the past aren't going to take them off now because of the addition of these new guys. As long as there's room for Ichiro on people's ballots, the rest should stay the same. So um, with that being said, Travis, that's all I really have for today. Um, we covered a lot of ground, and the good news is there's still a lot more to go in this offseason. Um, spring training is no longer that far out. Um, I think there's baseball this month in terms of pitchers and catchers reporting. But that being said, there's still several, several free agents on, you know, waiting to find their team that they're going to be reporting to in in, in a matter of, of a month or so. So um, very exciting times. We'll continue to cover off-season updates and leading up through spring training uh into spring training we'll also travis i'm excited to do our positional ranks we always do um because mlb is doing theirs and i can't wait to rip into them because they <laughs> they always act foolish on us we always have to kind of criticize the way they go wrong with saying this guy is the third best third baseman and we have to tell them why they're wrong so they're pretty good i think you know all, all, all of that and more coming up in the coming weeks if you made it this far Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast.